You're listening to the Euro 92 Throwback Series on the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to SFF Podcast with me, John Bleasdale. 30 years ago this summer, Scotland took part in the first ever European Championships at the 1992 Finals in Sweden. To commemorate this, we take a look back at the Euro 92 Finals with a representative from each of the eight teams who took part in the tournament. In the final part of our look back at Euro 92, we look at the relative success stories of the two Scandinavian nations in the tournament. 96 cap central defender and Champions League winner Patrick Anderson gives his view on host Sweden's fine performances in the tournament, which saw them reach the semi-finals and lay the foundations for a great World Cup in America two years later. Then we save the best till last as we speak to Danish journalists Sebastian Stanbury and Niels Harald to go over the tale of Denmark's incredible journey to European Championship success, having been drafted into the finals at the last minute in place of Yugoslavia. So sit back and enjoy the final instalment of our Euro 92 throwback, the Scandinavian Surprise. My mind's down and it's off course. You don't know where to go. You don't know who to phone. In this part of our Euro 92 throwback, we look at the host nation, Sweden, and I'm delighted to be joined by 96 cap defender Patrick Anderson. Patrick, welcome along. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for the invitation. I know. Thank you for coming on. It's obviously um, 30 years since uh, Euro 92. Um, It was a big thing for Scotland because Scotland um, had never qualified for the Euros before, but I understand that was also the part, um, the case for Sweden, and um, you got qualification by right of host. You know, how did you feel when um, you learned that the tournament was coming to your homeland? Uh, very proud, for sure. I was only seven, uh, 17 years back then in 88 when we were, were given the hostess. And uh, many thanks to, to Lennart Johansson, the chairman of UEFA. Yeah, he might have had a little dealing in there. <laughs> yeah, but um, last time I was here back in the 58, so it was time for Sweden, I think. Yeah, definitely, and he obviously proved to be a good host. I mean, just then, what, what was it like in terms of the build-up leading to that tournament? Because um, on the pitch, Sweden um, at World Cup 98 flattered to deceive. They were bottom of a group um, that included um, Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. I won't rub in that we beat you but um, you know it was a bit of a transitional period you know how vital um, was that? Um, but first of all before you know the, the Bosman verdict 97 two clubs in, in Sweden Malmö FF under Roy Hodgson and later IFK Göteborg were able to build, build uh, strong teams both in the league but also in Europe and those two teams could uh, compete with the top teams in Europe. And most of the players in the squad, also back then in 90, 92, 94, 
had their their uh, time in those two clubs, and um, so um, the quality was there. The team back in the nineties, some of their they played in the Olympics '88, got experience, but ninety a little bit unlucky playing Brazil, losing to to Scotland, and then you know Costa Rica. A draw was enough, but yeah. And after that, you know, Ole Norin was sacked. And then we had an interim coach, Nisa Andersson, for a couple of months. And then Lars Oke Lagrell, the chairman of the federation, appointed Tommy Svensson as new coach for the Swedish national team. A little bit surprised, you know, former national player playing many years in Sweden, abroad, and now was a, a trainer in a small club in Norway. And I think, you know, if his first year, 91, he was yeah, trying to find his role, trying to find his team, what is the right system. I remember he, he was playing with Libro until, we call it in Germany, Mandekas, you know. And then when I came on 92, we played with a flat back four. And, and uh, in... The spring in 92, I think he set the team for the upcoming tournament. On, uh, on my, uh, behalf of myself, you know, I came on a team on a, on a tour in Australia, January. Played two national teams and then on to the big team, you know, played uh, Poland and Hungary. So with four teams, uh, four, four games in my baggage, it was time for the game against France. So, Yeah, you must have also made an impression. Just when I described that honour of what it means to be called up in, um, for your national team for the first time. Yeah, for sure. It's one of your, of your uh, career goals. And But, um, you know, I, I made it a long way, you know, under 16, under 18, under 21, the Olympics. So, yeah, I came on Malmö FF with uh, 17 under Roy Hodgson playing the Europa Cup. So for me, it's, yeah, it was one step, yeah, but still you have to prove yourself and, yeah. Yeah, and as we said, you also managed to get yourself into first team and uh, you you were part of a back four with um, Jan Eriksson, Roland Nielsen and Joachim Bjortland, who we also know in Scotland from his time at um, Rangers. Um, you know, just, you know... Describe the relationship that you you had, and obviously Thomas Ravelli, a top quality goalkeeper um, mm. as well. You know, you, it was a pretty solid mm. defence for you to walk into. Mm. But you see, due to you know being coached by Roy Hodgson or Bob Newton, for instance, you are so well, what you say, uh, developed. You have all the tools, and we have trained and trained on daily basis, so you know the the system quite well. But I have to get credit to Tommy Svensson giving me, I was um, turning uh, turning 21, youngest Swede ever in the European Championship, and Jockey Björklund 21, giving us the confidence, um, yeah, giving him all the credit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you obviously came through a good youth system at uh, Malmo, which um, you know elevated you yeah, into this and, position. And it's also, also about timing, you know. We had uh, Glenn Heisen, you know, former Liverpool, Peter Larsson, former Ajax, and yeah, you have to have the the timing as well. And uh, 
and uh, it was our time, luckily. Yeah, definitely. I mean, amongst the group that you were um, that you were in, um, uh, the camp that you were in, you know, just um, describe what the you know the mid um, of the the camp was like going into that tournament, especially with the fact knowing that you were the host nation and how much pressure is on you to do well in the tournament. It's hard to say, due to our experience as individual players and also in the in our home teams, we, we we knew that we had quality, but it's always hard to say when you compare with France, with you know X many Marseille players, you have Papan, Cantona in Leeds, the Danish players, and then yeah, and then the the England team who did a remarkable uh, World Cup in in the nineties. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you obviously couldn't have um, feared much. I mean, I'm looking at the team that you played most of the games. So, I mean, um, we've also talked about the defence that you were in. But in mm -hmm. midfields, you know, Jonas Tern, another one who had a spell at Rangers, you know, um, mm -hmm. a good captain, a very good player when he was at Rome in particular. Stefan mm -hmm. Schwartz ended up, you know, I think it was at Fiorentina at the time, or he moved to Fiorentina and then to Arsenal. Um, uh, Anders Lampard uh, was at Arsenal at that point. Class uh, Ingerson Sadler no longer with us. Another good midfield that you uh, had there. I, I think Stefan Schwartz was leaving uh, Benfica. I think right. he spent three years and leaving for Florence and then after that to Arsenal. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think uh, the only concern uh, in the team and, and the setup, I think it, it was how, how to play up front. Was it Brolin, Kenneth Anderson or Martin Dahlin? And uh, which role for Lim Parr, for instance? And uh, a little bit seeking the, the right uh, formation, I think. Yeah, well, Thomas Brolin um, eventually in the tournament you know, proved that he was the number one um, Swedish player at that point. But uh, onto that opening game um, in Stockholm, um, a draw with um, the French, Jan Eriksson with terrific header, making it 1 0. And then Papin levelled the game later on. Francois Bild is one of the pre tournament favourites because they'd won all eight qualifiers. But was there a sense of disappointment that you didn't win having led the game or were you content with the point? What was the mood after that game like? I think we didn't see that that way because we got something with us into the tournament. We got a point and uh, we knew that we could uh, compete on that level against those, those uh, top players, play against Cantona and Papan. And, you know, if you give Papan just a slight... Second is so strong and a, and a strong finisher. Yeah, he was the t probably one of, if not the top player um, striker in Europe at that point as well. Up there with mm. the likes of Van Basten, for example, and you know he he played in the Champions League final the year, or so European Cup final the year before as well. Mm. Uh, back then in nineteen ninety one, I think when they mm -hmm. they uh, they lost on on penalties, I think. Yeah, to um, Red Star Belgrade, and, and and that was another thing that you mm. you um, in January up until what late May that you were preparing to play Yugoslavia in game two with likes of Darko Panchev and uh, Robert Prozinetsky, mm. and then at the last minute they were um, expelled from the competition. In come your neighbours Denmark, you know. How much of a curveball did that throw up that you're then thinking you, you probably wouldn't have been preparing to face up to likes of um, Brian Lewis? You might not have even known what players were going to be in the Danish team at that point. No, but still, you know, in the in the in the build-up before we played Poland, winning five in L, and then Hungary, and yeah, and then just before we knew, but yeah, we 
we concentrated on on our game and then yeah you have to take it on and and also one thing when you are so young you know you always you don't think that much you know you just do your job it's not that hard you know and, and some of the more experienced pros around uh, around you like Revelling goals, obviously being a prime example, and Jan Eriksson, Roland Nielsen at right back. He was a terrific right back um, from Sheffield Wednesday. How much did they help guide you um, through those early matches, um, so you prepared for those um, for the tournament? Yeah, but you know, it's also about experience. I was captain uh, at Malmo FF at that time, so for me, it was nothing. And also as a centre half, you have to uh, yeah, take your responsibility and uh, yeah you have the game uh, in front of you and you have to make sure that your uh, your um, mates have the right position and cover the, the right spaces so f- for me it was never uh, a question so even from an early age um you had that almost captain's mindset yourself even though yeah, that sure. you were um, quite a young lad yeah. Excellent. That's a, that's a good mentality to have. The, the Denmark game was obviously a tight affair. Um, won by Thomas Brolin in the second mm-hmm. half, which put you top of the group. It was the first win yeah. um, in the but group for I any think, side. <laughs> but I think uh, in that game, uh, yeah, we, we played well and uh, could, uh, I think, easily score at least one more goal to win uh, the game more comfortable. But I, I remember one situation. I have to, to, to take a, a yellow card because I remember uh, Brian Lauder was uh, almost uh, one against one with Ravelli. And uh, yeah, sometimes you have to take a free kick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the good booking, as you say, obviously came back to haunt you late in the competition, as we'll discuss. But in terms of beating your rivals, you know, that must have been. Um, obviously a sweet moment because um, it was a crucial couple of points because it was two points for one in those days, don't forget. Mm. Um, but beating your rivals as well, you know, in your home tournament, it doesn't get much better than that, although it does later as we talk, as we'll come on to. No, for sure. And also that feeling that, you know, now you have everything in your own uh, hands, you know, in going into a tough game against England. Yeah. And, and this is where we come nicely on to. So, um, this is where Thomas Brolin became um, a hero in Scotland. <laughs> he was already a hero in, uh, in Sweden, so thanks very much. But it wasn't looking good at half time. You were one down, and David Platt had scored it um, very early uh, on. You know, was, how difficult uh, was that? Game? Uh, it was not that um, start that we were looking for. I think Platt scored after four minutes, I think. And after that, yeah, finding our set up again and I think uh, Tony Daly was close to score the second but um, yeah we got back into the game and got into the to the half time and then um, I think um, Tommy Svensson made a really good decision putting on Johnny Ekstrom in the second half and uh, he was for us I think uh, a game changer yeah, it certainly made an impact um, because you then go to level with Jan Eriksson again. Mm. You know, he was proving a really valuable asset in both boxes. Mm. You know, he was defending well and then obviously scored again a good header because it beat not just Chris Woods, but it was a defending line. I think it might have been Andy Sinton. It somehow sneaked in between the two of them. It was a terrific header. Uh, I, he, first of all, the, the serve from Swartz, unbelievable. Both 
goals you if you compare them against France and also against the England, quite similar. But the timing from Jan and also the power, unbelievable. Yeah, and that obviously put the game back in your own hands because at this point, you know, Sweden are back on top of the group and um, on course to qualify. And then there was the substitution that England made that is famous back back in the UK that Gary Lineker, what turned out to be his last game, was taken off for Alan Smith. Were you shocked? Has uh, anyone as a centre-half seen England's top goal scorer at a time they needed to win the game being taken off? Uh, I couldn't understand that. Um decision from Graham Taylor because uh, Gary's always good for a goal so yeah mm-hmm. I mean Alan yeah. Smith is a handy striker to be fair you know he's a championship winner with Arsenal so it wasn't as if they were bringing on a bad player and we, we um, have had um, Alan speaking this as well so um, but you know you must have been rubbing your hands the fact that it was Lineker that was coming off not someone else <laughs> oh, uh, quite, quite surprised and um, it backfired and Graham Taylor got rested so um, with because um, the goal of the tournament there's no question about it I've looked at other goals in this tournament and nothing compares to the skill in Thomas Brolin's finish you know outside the right foot um, oh. you know just when you see that go in it seals qualification for Sweden because you know you've got the game won at that point um, and it's just one of the best moments in recent mm. Swedish football history yeah, it was a little bit early of the tiki-taka game, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a clean finish, top corner, unbelievable. Yeah. In terms of Thomas as a player, you know, um, he was someone, you know, that he did very well with Palmer, did well with the national team, obviously, at um, the mm. next World Cup as well. And then when he moved to the UK after a bright start with Leeds, it then deteriorated, you know, Mm. What in your mind happened, um, you know, for him to deteriorate quite quickly? Because you know he was in his I, prime when he moved to Leeds. Uh, no, it's it's hard to say because he he came uh, he made his uh, breakthrough, you know, in the spring '90 before the World Cup and played a really good World Cup, moving to Parma, and we played you know national team and Olympics together and great um, improvement in those years, but. Then, you know, after the World Cup 94, he got a serious in, uh, injury in a qualifier in October. And I think after that, he not, never found his uh, quality again or fitness. Mm-hmm. Unluckily, if you see a world-class player like him, but such a short career, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, Injuries can take a lot of play and then the confidence can go with it it's just un, uh-huh. just unfortunate for the man but he certainly had a, a, a terrific mm-hmm. career as we say um, yeah, especially see, so from the yeah, spring 90 until his injury in October 94 yeah he was definitely a top top talent without doubt Patrick um, and then on to the semi so you've won the group um, you're getting Germany the world champions in the semi-final Unfortunately for you, you had to miss it because you picked up a second booking against England. How gutted were you um, missing that semi-final, especially when you see your team going out? Uh, I, I got my second yellow card, you know, or one against Denmark and then against England. I got, uh, I think it was in the first half against Lineker. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a game, you know, it's a lot of situation and you and then when you have many situations in a row, yeah, maybe the fifth one, yeah, then this, 
after the fifth situation, yeah, it was my situation, and I unluckily got a yellow card for what I meant was nothing really. But yeah, so, uh, sometimes the referees have to make their point. But um, yeah. Was it possible naivety on your part that you say that it was like the fifth situation or the fifth um, occurrence? Yeah, it was not a fifth for me. But, you know, when you have a tight game, a lot of uh, contacts, you know, and then you have a situation. And unlucky it was my situation. And then I was punished, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. As, as unfortunate that you were um, obviously... Because I, I only remember the goals from the England-Sweden game, to be perfectly honest with you. Um you know, I don't recall your booking, but in the semi-final, um, you know, there must have been, I mean, it's obviously a great achievement for Sweden to get into a semi-final, especially in your home tournament, but having got there and with the momentum that you were building, it must have been a massive disappointment losing that game um, because Germany were hot and cold in that tournament. I mean, Scotland should have beat them in the, the group stages. CIS were very unlucky not to beat them um, and obviously Holland tore them apart in the last game. Mm. It's hard to say, but uh, uh, we had uh, problems finding the right 11. And, uh, you know, we had to swap in many positions. We swapped in many positions, and uh, and that's never good. You know, Björklund playing center half, Roger Jung left full back, Jocke Nilsson first game coming on as a left wing, and yeah, too many changes. And uh, after that, um, Caroline's uh, Riedel killed the game early. Yeah, he was a he was a top player, you know. In that that second half, he came. I've also Thomas Hessel. When you've got someone like that who can hit a free kick mm-hmm. as well as he can, that's a big weapon oh. to have from Germany. I mean, you oh. did fight back twice with a rolling penalty and uh-huh. Ken Anderson but, heading home. Yeah, uh, uh, but we still uh, felt that it was never close, losing three two, but. The feeling was no, we wasn't close winning that game. So yeah, pretty, it was pretty disappointing. Yeah, does it disappoint you even more when you see who won it? Um, your rivals, you know. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I have many many friends in that team. So yeah, but um, yeah, we we bet bet the upcoming uh, champion. So yeah, that's football. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You have, to win the right, you have to win the right games. Absolutely. And Denmark came to life at the right time, you know, in that last game against France, and then that momentum carried on. And as you say, unfortunately for you guys, um, injuries and suspensions came at the wrong time. Going into, and when you're facing a team like Germany, you need all your best 11 out there. Yeah, uh, for sure. And um, in terms of the t- um, Euro 92 itself, um, you know, what did it, what did it mean to you personally? You know, obviously it was your first tournament as an international player um, and you got to the semi-finals. That must mean a great deal for you going for um, and when you look back now, 30 years on. Yeah, yeah first of all, it was a statement that you could uh, compete uh, on that level. And um, after that, I played the uh, Olympics in, in Barcelona and then going on with my club team Malmö and parallel with them. Uh, yeah, the qualifying for the for the World Cup, '94. But um, uh, the team proved that they had quality, could play, play and beat 
the best teams. So uh, for us, it was uh, important for the upcoming qualifying and then for sure for the World Cup. Yeah, it was definitely a good launch pad um, for that next World Cup because arguably you performed better at the World Cup because in a World Cup um, of 24 teams to get to the semi-final, lose mm. to the eventual winners, um, no harm in that, and then win the third-place playoff to get the bronze medal. <laughs> Does that um, bronze medal sit proudly in your home now? Yeah, sure. Um, but also that we were still trying to find the uh, right, right um, offens- offensive uh, power, you know. And um, after the first game, we were moving down, uh, brawling to, to left midfield, creating a, a free role for him. And uh, that was also a game changer for, for the whole tournament. Mm-hmm. And luckily for us, we had to play uh, Brazil twice. Yeah, that was that was unfortunate, but um, you know, you earned the right to play them at all by getting there and then getting through to semi final. But certainly, um, you know, that was um a good a great period for the Swedish national team. And um, in terms of the Swedish people, um, from what you know from that European Championships, you know, what did it mean to them? You know, seeing the team performing so well in their home tournament. Uh, but I think um. That tournament started uh, the Swedish fan culture to, to follow the national team, to, to travel with the national team and yeah, increase the, also the interest in, in, um, yeah, in the, the Swedish national team. So it was um, yeah, a mark for the future. And in terms of your own career, 96 caps um, for your country, you know, not too far off the 100. You know, um, just what did, um, just to, to summarise, um, to, to round this off, um, what did um, playing for um, Sweden mean to you and how proud are you of those 96 caps? Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure, 96 is uh, a lot of caps. But uh, on on my level or when I look back on my career, it's about to see how far you can go. And um, I think I achieved that much as I can as a, as Swedish born player by reaching yeah, a bronze medal, both 92 and 94. So, yeah, I'm really proud. Yeah, so you should be. You certainly had a good club career as well, having a Champions League medal within that. So, listen, Patrick, thank you very much um, for for your time. Yeah. In the final instalment of our Euro 82 throwback, we're saving the best to last as we look back at Denmark's remarkable journey to European Championship glory. As their champions, we're speaking to two guests to recall their success, starting off with the views of Danish journalist and author of a book called Dromland, which means Dreamland, Sebastian Stanbury. Welcome along, Sebastian. How are you this evening? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, No, just... um, 
having fun looking back at um, you know year ninety two. I can't believe it's been thirty years ago. It was Scotland's first ever um, Euros, but for Denmark, it was obviously more special for some strange reason. Can you want to tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> yeah, obviously it's the most special uh, special one because we won it all. And uh, it came at a strange time in Danish football where I didn't think anybody expected, uh, at least not, not uh, the least here in Denmark, nobody expected us to win anything because uh, we've just come out of the 80s. Uh, we had this great national team in the 80s uh, who did well at the, the year 94, uh, 84 and 90, 86 uh, at the World Cup in, in Mexico. One against Scotland, by the way. Uh, you might remember, we'll remember that. that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then there was a kind of a, 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 a drop uh, in the level of the players uh, available for the national team. And then they bloody went and won it all in 92 when nobody expected it and when they haven't needed to qualify for the, for the Euros. Yeah, you weren't expected to win it when the draw took place in January 1992 because you weren't in it, as you say. You, you failed to qualify. Um, it was a... And uh, Richard Muller Nielsen only just taken over after um, the Italian 90 World Cup, and it wasn't an easy start because um, yeah, in your first three games you beat Fair Islands four one, fair enough. But then you drew with Northern Ireland and lost at home to Yugoslavia. And I understand that the Loudrup brothers um, and and a couple of other players um, left because they weren't happy with um, Muller Nielsen at this point, and there was others demanding his dismissal. And you know, can you tell us a bit more about how that all came about? Yeah. Um... It it the the mood wasn't great at the moment uh, at at that time. Um, um, it, Denmark, as as we talked about, were very great in the eighties um, and uh, had a very popular national team coach in Seth Piantek, uh, and he left, and his assistant uh, Richard Müller Nielsen took over, and it wasn't a big success at the beginning. He was. Uh, the players had. Uh, he was. Uh, the players struggled getting used to him and and his football philosophies and his training. Um, he was a little more of a dis- dif- defensive oriented coach than than Sipiontek, uh, and not everybody liked that. Not everybody liked the way uh, the team trained. Not everybody liked his uh, very very long team meetings. Uh, there there's there are stories that uh, his team uh, meetings and his analysis of the opponents uh, often uh, went into such great details at the, at the, as the shoe size of the opponents uh, so he took his time and not everybody liked his style and uh, when the results weren't there especially uh, with the with the, the defeat against uh, Yugoslavia in in 90 well uh, a couple of players left, most notably uh, Michael Laudrup and, and Brian Laudrup, who said uh, the famous brothers, t- two of the best players Den- Denmark has ever had, Michael Laudrup, probably rated as the greatest of all time, uh, left, said they didn't want to play anymore. Brian Laudrup came back uh, before the Euros, but it was tough for a new coach at that time that the biggest stars left and the results weren't there. and. Uh, he was being questioned uh, early in his. He hadn't. He had only been there for a couple of months, and people were already saying, "Should he go? Should he be fired?" Uh, so a, a tough time in Danish national team history. Yeah, it was definitely a tough start. But what happened that um, enabled them to galvanise um, the team again? Because it was a strong end to the campaign, starting with a two-one win in Yugoslavia, who had 
a very good team. The core of the Yugoslavia team um, won the European Cup with their native Red Star Belgrade in 1991 as well. And then you won the remaining four qualifiers twice against Austria, against Fair Islands and against Northern Ireland. Wasn't enough to qualify, but there were signs, obviously, that um, things were building for Denmark um, at that point. What did the Muller-Nielsen do so special that got the players back on side and eventually Brian and Michael Lidrup come back into the fold? Uh, yeah, um, it, 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 there were troubles in the in the team in Yugoslavia uh, with the match in Yugoslavia as well because uh, uh, Jan Heinze, a left back from Denmark, found found out that he wasn't starting and then he just left the camp uh, and didn't play uh, on the national team for many many years after that. So that was another tough uh, moment for Ricard Miller Nielsen. But don't we shouldn't underestimate Ricard Miller Nielsen. He had his ways and he was. Uh, he he was um, difficult uh, in, in relations to the press as well, the media. Uh, but he was a great coach. He had won the the, the championship twice with the Odense in in Denmark, uh, and um, knew was a very great tactician. Knew how to set up a team, not to lose, uh, mostly of all. And when uh, when the the staff left, when Michael and Brian Laudrup left. Then there were uh, good players were left. Uh, it, there was a good, solid backbone of the team. Uh, a lot of workers who knew who knew their job on the team, knew what to do. Uh, still, a couple of uh, good talents uh, in the front in the attack. So they were able to to go on about after that. They they, uh, as we say in in Denmark, they moved closer to uh, each other in the bus, and then. Um, then they just get get on got on with it and and won a couple of a lot of matches because they like Camilla Nielsen knew what he was doing. Yeah, he obviously did. Um, but you know, as we say at this point, you didn't have a, a tournament to look forward to. So I don't know how Danish fans, when they're not involved in a tournament, look at a major tournament. Um, and you know, because we know in Scotland, a lot of Scotland fans saying, "Right, who have England got? We'll support them." Was it similar um, in your case before you found out Denmark was going to tournament? Was it case of right, who's playing Sweden? We'll support England, France, and Yugoslavia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think it actually was at the at the time. I, but it, it must it, it it was strange for Denmark not to participate uh, participate because we had gotten used to it. Uh, Denmark was nothing before the eighties, but then suddenly came eighty four. 86, the Euros in 88, uh, and then it was a big disappointment when Denmark didn't qualify for for Italia 1990, uh, and then came another uh, relegate uh, qualification miss in 92. So it, it was tough times. Uh, I don't think we went as far as to uh, to support everybody who didn't uh, who didn't uh, who, who played against Sweden, but um, it, it was tough. I'd, I'd say that. Uh, yeah, I think to be fair, um, you Danes are a wee bit more diplomatic than us, um, so um, no, that's that's fair enough. But uh, not for a lack of wars, by the way, we have had quite a lot of wars against Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That could be a podcast in itself. Um, but in in terms of uh, obviously, um, there was the war was breaking in Yugoslavia, um, so. Everyone talks about Denmark just got two weeks um, told you're in and that's it. But they must have had, there must have been some inclination that they were going to get the call. At what point do you know that they were um, preparing to get that call to say you're in? Um, I'm 
I don't think anybody knew with certainty that this was going to happen until it actually happened. But there were rumblings. Um, my the the paper I've, I've worked for, Tipsblood, uh, a magazine, we wrote about it in uh, in the in November 1991. There is a possibility that Yugoslavia is going to break. Then Denmark Denmark could go in. Uh, Richard Müller Nielsen was once asked by the F Football Federation, if we were to get the call, how much of times do you need to prepare? And he said, I need one hour notice. Uh, because he was preparing all the many months uh, leading up to the Euros uh, uh, and studying the opponents uh, because he was a very thorough man. And he, he was like, if we get the opportunity, I want to be ready. Uh, so there were rumblings um, as early as the fall of uh, 1999 before the qualification even ended and all the way up to when it uh, was a reality in, uh, in, in late spring 1992. Was he prepared for Michael Laudrup to still be sitting in the beach saying, "No, I'm staying here"? Yeah, uh, I don't think that there were. I don't remember much talk. Uh, 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 I, I don't remember seeing much talk about him uh, being able to to join. That came only a, a year later. It came in. He came back in 1993. Uh, Brian Laudrup had rejoined the national team uh, a few months earlier, so that it wasn't like, oh, they're going to the Euros, then I'm coming back. He he had joined the squad uh, earlier in 1992. Right. Okay. Because also we hear the story that um, you know Michael Laudrup just says I'd rather stay in the beach because we don't have a chance of winning the tournament. How those words might come back to him, but you're telling me that's just a myth that. He was asked beforehand, and he wasn't coming back anyway at that point. I don't think actually it was it, it was a theme of him going back. I don't think they asked him. Uh, Richard Müller Nielsen was a very very proud man. He wasn't going to ask. He wasn't going to come begging to Michael Laudrup and ask him if he wanted to play. Not at all. Uh, so it, it it wasn't really a theme. Um, it, it 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 wasn't talked about. It was weird. Michael Laudrup in 1992 won the championship with Barcelona. He won the European Cup with FC Barcelona. He might have been the best player in Europe at that time. He would have won the Ballon d'Or had he played in, uh, in, in um, had he played in, in the Euros and won with Denmark. There's no doubt about it. Marco van Basten won, uh, but but Michael Laudrup, uh, he I think he was I think he was sixth or seventh or eighth in the Ballon d'Or that year without playing uh, in the Euros. So he, he was a great player, and it, 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 it's so weird that he wasn't there, and they still won. Yeah, it just makes the story even more, more remarkable as well. As, as we say, it was, what, two weeks' notice, um, maybe less than that, when they got the call. Richard Will Nielsen had to prepare a squad, but as you alluded to, he had, time, he had more time than we thought to prepare. And he picked in his squad seven foreign-based players, including the likes of Peter Schmeichel, obviously, but 13 home-based players, which... Do you think that probably culminated in them? Um, it probably helped towards what was a good team spirit at that time. I think so. Uh, there were a lot of there. Were, there weren't many stars in the Danish team of 1992. Uh, Smigel was a star. Brian Laudrup was a star. But they were workers. Uh, they knew their job and they performed it. They went down and performed it. Uh, and um, it it was it was a good squad. They they had good players as well. Uh, they they players who. Who could uh, who could play on the counter? Players who knew to how to set up a defense. Uh, so it 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 was a good struck and uh, uh, squad. And 
they had a great team mentality. They they've always been hailed for that. Uh, they were good friends as well as a, as a strong team, and they liked to be around each other, uh, which was a good thing when they were suddenly being thrown into a couple of weeks together during the summer, which nobody expected. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the fans' expectation, you know, you you're seeing a Denmark team that's been thrown in with from again perception. Zero preparation, you know. You've been playing a couple of friendlies to build for the um the the forthcoming World Cup qualifiers. All of a sudden, you're then in a tournament. As a fan, what was your hopes going into that tournament? Was it just to see that just, just was it a case of just enjoy it, or was there belief from like your point of view that Denmark were capable of coming out of a group, which was a tough group because you had the host Sweden and England side that had been the um, World Cup semi-finals two years previous, and a France side that won every single qualifying game. Yeah, it, it, it was a tough squad. Uh, I have to admit, I was only five at the time. So uh, I don't remember the, the, the expectations. But when I wrote, uh, when we, my, fr- my colleague and I wrote the book, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I went back during the archives of all the media, uh, all the uh, newspapers, to see what was, the, what, what, what was the mood. And I was looking for gloom. I was looking for pessimism. I was looking for... Uh, for journalists saying we're going to lose three matches and then go home. And I couldn't find it. Um, I couldn't find optimism either. I couldn't find anybody saying uh, we're going to win them all. Uh, but there was, uh, it, it, it was more of a case like, okay, we have been dealt this opportunity. Let's go and make the most of it. Uh, let's, let's see what happens. That was, that was the mood in Denmark at the time. Of, nobody expected anything, but there wasn't the talk that I kind of expected uh, that we're going to lose it all and this team is rubbish and they haven't prepared, uh, we haven't even qualified properly. Uh, we, we, we were like, let's go out and take our chance. And there is a story that when all the players met up in the camp uh, in uh, the town of Wildbeck, where they prepared, always prepared, and it was a great summer in Denmark as well as in Sweden. Uh, so they were standing on the grass uh, blue skies, green grass, uh, and uh, Rika Müller-Nielsen on the first day of training gathered all these players and said, lads, I'm telling you, we're going to Sweden to win it all. And a few of them started to laugh. And he was like, no, I'm serious. And at that, the sto- as the story goes, Brian Laudrup has said this, at, at that point, uh, at that exact moment, they were like, okay, Let's try our best here. Let's let's go and, and do the best we can. Uh, so Rikard Müller Nielsen, he he knew what he was going for. That, that's a bold call, and it looks it looks as though when um, that might have thrown back in his face after the first two games because um, there was two games where Denmark failed to score. Nil nil against England. Very unlucky in that game when John Jensen hits the post. Um, the second game against the host Sweden in Stockholm, uh, Thomas Brolin scores only goal of the game. So instead of thinking about winning the thing. There was a big fear that um, Denmark were, were going out pretty quickly, um, as quickly as they arrived at that point. Yeah, I think everybody expected Denmark to, uh, at least, uh, also here in Denmark, expected that the team, uh, the tournament was over. Uh, because France was such a great side. Uh, before, uh, they, as you mentioned, they went straight through the qualifiers uh, with nothing but wins. Before 1992, they were undefeated in 19 games. Uh, then they drew and lost a couple of games in early uh, 1992 with friendlies uh, as per preparation. Uh, but 
Leighton was such a great side, they might have been the biggest favourites to win it all. Uh, but so nobody expected Denmark to go out and, and win that match. Uh, but um, they did. They, they played their best once again. And like Müller Nielsen was uh, set up the side perfectly. Uh, Denmark was better. I've seen the match. Denmark was a better team than France uh, for most of the match. Uh, and um, he was he was clever and he was lucky because uh, he played Henrik Larsen, who was sub- uh, substitute against uh, Sweden, who played terrible, in my opinion. But he came in to the starting lineup, scored a goal, uh, the first goal. Then France equalized. And then Rekha Müller Nielsen took out Brian Laudrup, the biggest star in the team. Why would you do that? You're chasing the victory. You have to go for the victory. Put in Lars Elstrup. Lars Elstrup scores uh, the, the winning goal for 2-1. So he, he, he thought he saw the match correctly and he got lucky uh, with his substitutions and his, uh, his team selection. Yeah, you can, you can say he got lucky, but that's the mark of a good manager, knowing when to spot that opportunity. I think what also played in the Danes' favour, um, France went into that game... Um, knowing that a draw was probably going to be enough um, and they maybe had um, I, I wouldn't say they had a half-hearted approach but they didn't have the same hunger as Denmark did because Denmark it was win or they were out as far as um, you could see Yeah and there are stories uh, in Denmark at least uh, from which the Danish players have told that the French, uh, Frenchmen were, uh, were very arrogant uh, saying in the, in the uh, tunnel before the match uh, don't make it this too hard for us. They were saying to 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 the Danes, um, and of course the Danish players didn't didn't want to hear that. They didn't like to hear that. So uh, they went out and gave it everything. I'm I'm sure they would have done anyways. But uh, uh, they, if they needed mo- any motivation, they got it from the from the French arrogance. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, to be fair, the the French journalist I spoke to, Pierre. Um, Menon, Pierre Etienne and Menonzio um, did um, allude to a few um, issues within the French team at that point and yeah, as, and he was admitted that Denmark were the better team in the night so um, you go through in second place then it's off to, off to Gothenburg facing the European champions who had um, tore Germany apart 3-1 in the, in the previous game and of course beat um, ourselves in the, um, the group stages um, again the expectation pre-match was I think if you're not in Denmark, you're pointing towards a whole um, a Dutch victory. But Denmark didn't read that script. And Henrik Larsson, the, we must say for the Scottish listeners, that's Henrik Larsson of Denmark, not the Henrik Larsson that was famous in Scotland. Um, scores two goals, and um, you're you are pegged back twice. And there's a horror injury to Henrik Anderson. It's one of the most. Oh, I'm just even talking about it, it just makes you wince. Um, but he overcame all that disappointment and kept the composure of it mattered. Five out of five in the shootout, and um, Peter Schmeichel p- pulls off a save from the great Marco van Basten. Yeah, it, it, it's an incredible match. Uh, it, it, just incredible. Uh, I could watch it right now. It, uh, it's such a great match, even, even here 30 years later. Um, so quick, so, so much speed in that game, so many uh, great attacks, so many great players. Uh, and Henrik Andersen, as you mentioned, uh, with the horror injury, he played amazingly. He had played an amazing tournament, uh, and he was so great. Um, and then that he had this injury, and the rest of the match is uh, is just a battle. It's just brutal. Uh, the Danes defending, uh, players going down left and right with injuries. 
uh, exhaustion. And but the Danish, they wrote out the the press from from the Dutch managed to go to to penalties, and um, and then we had Peter Michael, <laughs> which was a a great great thing to have, best goalkeeper in the world. I would agree. Yeah, certainly at that time. Um, he was um, one of the best keepers in the world without um, shadow of doubt. And then on to finals after beating the European champions in the penalty. It's just a small matter of beating the world champions in the final. We had to play both them in the group stages, by the way. So get your blessings. Um, so again, written off completely. Germans always turn up on these occasions. They always win. Again, Denmark, another sure performance defensively. They were solid. Peter Schmeichel made some wonderful saves from Klinsmann in particular. Um, John Jensen scores an absolute screamer of a goal to open the scoring. Um, and then a bittersweet um, tournament in terms of Kim Vilfort. He had to go home a couple of times because of his um, young daughter um, who had leukemia and sadly passed away shortly after the tournament. But then he scores the this clinching second goal and it was almost as if someone put that down on his head say, this is your moment, son. Yeah, it is uh, not a great match, the final, by the way, but very, very, very uh, exciting uh, to watch. Uh, not for the neutral, I'd say, because there were a lot of back passes uh, to Peter Michael, uh, which he just, he, he was allowed to take him in his hands at that point, and he did many, many, many times. Um, but yeah, people sometimes say, um, it's easy. It was easier to win at that time. There were only eight participants, but that means that there were only eight teams in the Euros, which means it was the the best of the litter. Uh, that it was the best of the the entire Europe, and Denmark to 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 win it all had to beat France, who entered the year with nineteen games undefeated, the uh, the European champions, and the world champions, and they won and they beat them all. So. Um, yeah, what a night! What a what a summer it was, and um, obviously, all, all those moments are 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 trying etched into Danish football history. Uh, uh, John Faxer Jensen's goal—he he hadn't been able—he he, he hit the post in the match against England. Apart from that, he hadn't been able to hit goal to all tournaments, and he kept shooting and shooting and shooting. Uh, but then, at the moment, the story goes that Rekha Müller Nielsen told him, "Look down at your shoelaces when you hit the ball," and he did, and he scored. And uh, after the tournament, he was uh, bought by Arsenal, and I'm sure the Arsenal fans thought they were going to get a great goal scorer. They did not, not at all. Um, only I think it took him 99 games to score for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, what a moment that was! What a moment it was when Kim Vilfor scored. Uh, no handball, by the way. There's still debate about this here. Thirty years later, whether he used his hand, he didn't. Uh, check the video uh, and the many, many saves, saves of uh, Peter Michael. The uh, the incident where Kent Nielsen, former Aston Villa uh, defender, uh, bicycle kicked, uh, made a scissor kick to to right in front of Karl Heinz Riedle. Um, so many, many great moments from, and uh, to be honest, not a very good football match, but uh, we'll never forget it. 
you don't care if it's a good football match or not, as long as you've got the the, the victory. Um, I, I must say, you mentioned the back passes, and the, this was an era where you could pick up a back pass. And I'll be honest, thank goodness that rule's gone because um, that's that's one rule that's been changed for the better um, overall. But you weren't complaining at the time, obviously. <laughs> no, not at all. And I think actually it was changed right after the final. Uh, it had already been decided that it was going to be scrapped uh, that, that rule. Uh, so. Um, I think Peter Michael was one of the last, and Bodo Igner in in the German goal were the last uh, goalkeepers in in uh, in a big match who were allowed to to pick up the back pass. Uh, and as I mentioned, Peter Michael he took advantage of that. There were a lot of times when he got a back pass, picked it up, got it down on the ground again, passed it out to Lars Olsen, who passed it back to Peter Michael, who picked it up and kicked it all the way down to the other end of the field. It, it wasn't very inspiring football for, for a lot of the time, but uh, I don't think anybody cared. No, of course not. And um, obviously you were five at the time, so you don't really recall what happened, but um, but you, you wrote about 10 years ago um, about the success. Um, I'm incidentally writing a book about Scotland's adventure in this tournament um, 30 years ago, So, but we don't have the same success as you guys, obviously. So um, what does that... Um, Mean mean now um, to you guys. I mean, it's obviously been your only international success, um, the greatest achievement in Denmark's history. Yeah, it, it is. It, it might not actually be the best national team in Denmark's history. That might be the team from the eighties, uh, but these guys they won it all. And uh, the parties back in in Denmark afterwards, we haven't seen anything like it. Um, until maybe this summer, uh, last summer, to 2021, when the team went to uh, to the semifinals of the Euros. Um, but people, it, the, the streets were filled. When the team went back home, the streets were filled with people, millions of people. Uh, one mil, I think you, the, the, the estimate is one million people t- uh, took to the streets in Copenhagen uh, to watch uh, the, the team come home. Uh, and people were saying, we haven't seen anything list- like this before uh, since the end of the war in in 95 when the germans uh, left denmark so it, it says a lot about um that moment that it was just sports but it could actually be compared to when the occupation ended in may 1995 uh, 1945 um and of course to me i can only speak for myself but I will always, even though I was only five, even though I wasn't there, I, 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 I was, my dad sent me to, to, be, to bed before the final. Um, but I still have the feeling we've won it once. We are, we'll, we'll, we'll never be one of the, the teams who, who go on and on and on without success. We can always look back and think we did win it once. We, want, we were the best team in Euros. It might have only been for a couple of weeks, but we were the best team in Europe. Um, and uh, that's a feeling that'll, that'll never go away. And I think uh, for uh, in 100 years, uh, Denmark will still be proud of that achievement. Yeah, that will never be taken away from you guys and quite right to um, to lap up. So um, just before we go, Sebastian, um, you also had a good Euros last year. A near-perfect World Cup qualifying campaign until the last game. Thank you very much. Um, but in terms of this, um, this year's World Cup um, in Qatar, um, what do you think of Denmark's chances of going far in this tournament? Because you have a blooming good squad. I, I think they are. Glad. They have the possibility to go very far, very, very far. Um, 
it's not the it's a great squad and it might be the best for 30 35 years in Denmark it might actually in terms of talent be better than the, the one that won in 1992 as which as you mentioned had a lot of players uh, playing back home in in Denmark in the Danish league uh, this squad might be better but it's not the best in Europe and they still have to show that they can consistently beat the best of the best they have shown that they can uh, kick everybody uh, kick the ass of everybody in uh, in, in the in this level just below um, I don't think Ireland wants to play Denmark uh, one more time I don't think Wales wants to play Denmark one more time uh, people of Russia were beaten so the teams at that level um, Denmark have shown that they are better than and can, and can expect to to beat them but can we beat France can we beat England can we beat Argentina? Can we beat uh, Belgium, uh, which we have had? We know we can't beat Be- Belgium as of yet because we have played them like three times since 2020 and, and have, have lost all three matches. So they still have to show that they can take it just one more level up and beat the best of the best uh, and not just be good against the other teams. They, they had some, they were a great team. And I, was, I saw all the matches at the stadium in. Um, in the summer in the Euros, they were a great team and they annihilated their opponents in many of the matches. But they all they did play the Czech Republic, they did play Wales, they did play Russia. Um, we're looking forward to see if they can do it, if they are drawn against the very best in uh, in Qatar, if they can do it there as well. Yeah, that will definitely be a challenge. And, um, you know, hopefully, Scott, um, we're recording this in January, so hopefully by the time this goes out, Scott will have joined them as well. So it'll be interesting to see. But listen, thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. And uh, thanks very much for your time, Sebastian. It's been lovely recalling your memories of Euro 92. Yeah, no problem. It's always fun to talk about. Uh, Even though I was only five, it's one of my favourite stories in in the world of football. So I'm always happy to talk about uh, that summer in Sweden. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. When you go out of pain, it turns and it's Sunday, my boy, I know it, you go at home and it's Monday, you never overdosed, you went for one or two, and it's Sunday, I'm good, and you look at your phone, and you know you're champagne, your mates go This Euro 92 throwback series is sponsored by Supernova Terraceware, an independent Scottish terrace and leisureware company. They sell a great range of products including t-shirts, hoodies, hats, scarves and more. Also, they have a great range of new products coming soon, including jackets. As a special for this series, they're offering listeners 10% off using the code EURO92 in capitals. So please visit supernovaterraceware.com to take advantage of this great offer. We'd like to thank Supernova Terraceware for the continued support of Scottish Football Forum's podcast. In the second part of our look back at Denmark's remarkable journey to European Championship glory, we are joined by Danish commentator Niels Harald. Niels, welcome along. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm doing great. Um, and how about you? Yeah, good. Um, you know, obviously, um, been enjoying recording a series of um, Euro '92 because this year's the um, 30th anniversary, and this was the year that 
Scotland first played at the tournament, but it's obviously going to have better memories for you because um, your nation happened to win it. Yeah, incredible, wasn't it? I, sometimes I still can't believe it happened. It was like, it was surreal. And it was like, um, took us totally by surprise, took a whole nation by surprise, a whole world, football world by surprise. And still to this day, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think many people can. I think the, the big shock aspect, there's, I mean, there's lots of great subplots um, to it. The first fact, yeah. you, you didn't even qualify. I mean, it was not a good start to the campaign because the results were that, well, you beat the Fair Islands 4-1, but then drawing with Northern Ireland, losing to Yugoslavia, um, and then there was a few players with you, including the Loudrop brothers, um, and it was a pretty tough start for Richard Moore Nielsen, who'd only just come in on the back of not qualifying for the previous World Cup. Absolutely. You have to remember, we came on the back of the 80s, 84, 86, the World Cup and the European Championships in 84, and we did marvellous. And it was a nation that was getting used to this success. 88 was a bit of a letdown, but everybody saw it as a change in generations. Did not qualify at the World Cup in 90, and um, the, 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 hit, the national coach left the team, Sepiontek left the team. And... Um, then it's, it started. It was it was terrible. It was a terrible year. Uh, I tell you what. Uh, I did a radio show in 1990 where we made a sketch about the poor Richard Miller Nielsen was being executed. So that was that was fairly bad. I tell you, the mood was so bad around him. You you cannot believe it. The Lautro brothers having stopped on the team, everything was. Everybody was giving up on this team now. Yeah, it sounds a, a bad state of affairs, um, you know, especially when lose, I mean, Brian Ledrick was only just coming into prominence, to be fair, because he was still at Bronby at the time, I, I recall. Obviously, Michael was the bigger star. But when you lose two players like that, and most national teams of our respective nations especially, that's going to be a, a huge hole, potentially. Absolutely. And Jan Milby also, who was, was very much against the way he wanted to play. That was the big deal. He, he wanted to play a different kind of football. He wanted to play more results-oriented. So what happened was he, the nation turned against him, basically. So that was it was kind of a miracle he was still there in 92, actually. Yeah, well, the, the rest of that campaign was strong, although you, you ultimately missed out. Um, you did win your last five games, including a 2-1 went away to a Yugoslavia team who had a very good side at that point. You know, a lot of their players were playing in the European Cup winning side with the rest of Well, great, the likes of Darko Panchev, Robert Prozinecki, etc. Um, but, but you still missed it by one point. Um, but, you know, you, was the feeling that um, things were starting to turn for the better at that point? Yeah, I tell you what, Pondby. Uh, in uh, the Danish best league had a marvellous team at this time. They uh, reached the semi-final in UEFA Cup. So it was not all doom and gloom in Denmark, but it was like the base of the team he was building, Richard Miller-Nielsen, was around that point team that had success in 91. So I believe there was a connection between Brøndby's success and the, the success that the Danish team had in, in the Euro 92. But, you know, it was like we were so far behind and only one team qualified. It's not like now where almost every team qualified for, <laughs> for everything. I, I mean, it was only one team. Yugoslavia had to go to the tournament and we went number two in the group. 
as far as I remember, that, that campaign was really good that year because he basically turned the team around, found new players for the crucial spots in the team. And it, it was gradually building, but we knew we were not playing in 92. So that was strange. Yeah. And uh, so you're also going into the calendar year 92, preparing for the USA 94 World Cup qualifiers in August, September time. Um, you weren't even thinking about Euros at this point. Do you know um, when what was getting out that Denmark could potentially be replacing Yugoslavia? I remember it being a thing, thing through uh, 92. I remember there being discussions in the spring of 92 whether this could happen. But basically everybody thought, ah, when we saw the Yugoslavia team arrive in Sweden, Remember that they were—they actually arrived to prepare for the tournament. Nobody thought it was going to happen, and I, I actually think the only one who believed it was Richard Müller-Nielsen, the Danish uh, national coach, because everybody else was saying, "Okay, it's not going to happen." But then, ten days before the tournament, suddenly everything turned around, and uh, Denmark got the place. Yeah, it's incredible. And we, I mean, we hear the sto- stories in uh, the UK about the Denmark players being on their, their sun loungers, um, you know, when the, um, when they got the call, etc. Um, although, and there were stories that Michael Loudrup um, had just, had opted to remain on the beach, but I understand from speaking to Sebastian, that's pretty much a myth. Um, it had been decided that he was never going to um, come back um, at that point. No, Michael was not com- coming back. That was, that was obvious. Brian is another kind of guy. I actually know Brian, I've been working with him for several, uh, for, for decades now, and he's a very nice guy. And more, I, I think he's not so, pr- he's not, Michael was very proud about this. He didn't want to play in the team, but Brian was more like, okay, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a tournament, I'll go with Denmark. And he, uh, luckily he did. Yeah, it was lucky because that was a tournament that showcased um, his talent. And he also went on to play for Fiorentina, um, a wee spell AC Millennium, of course, as we know in Scotland a terrific spell at um, Glasgow Rangers you know had a wonderful um, four years there um, and it shows he made the right decision in the end wasn't it didn't it yeah it's, it seems so because I, I'm not sure Denmark would have won it with Michael on board because it was more a team effort remember this team was being built around you remember I talked about the Bonby team it was built around the Bonby team very much built about players from the Danish, uh, the, the best uh, league in Denmark. Very much, uh, very much substantial players from the best teams in Denmark. And that was the key to the success because the Danish tournament only stopped four days before the Euro, Euro 92 started. So they were in good shape, the players from the National national League at that point. And it might also have changed the, the dynamics in the squad because if Jan Milby was there and Michael was there, I believe it would have been at a different, a different attitude, a, bit, a different mood. Actually, it's amazing how these these things are almost, um, you know, it can be seen as an accident, but it's almost an accident by design in some in some respects. But um, as you mentioned, there was a lot of homegrown players from Bromby, but in, in all, thirteen home based players in the Denmark team, which probably sums up the spirit as well. Probably helped at that point that that was the year that. Um, the three foreigner rule was uh, applied for a few years before it was scrapped again, but that must have um, really helped the, the Dane spirit having so many, uh, such a core of um, players from their um, domestic league. And players who were out to prove themselves. Remember, the, these are players, John Faxer, John Jensen, who ended up at Arsenal. He, he was working for his future. He was being rejected by uh, Hamburg at that time. 
players who wanted to go somewhere with the careers. That's a good point, starting point for success. If you want to show something, Smigel has just gone to to England, as far as I remember. But yeah. the, the, this was a team that was going upwards. It had the right age profile, and it had the amount of they they believed the system and they believed they had to work to do something. That was the key to the success, actually. Yeah, I understand um, the manager had a full belief that they were going to win the tournament from the start. Um, obviously, after the first two games, unlucky in the 0-0 draw with England when John Jensen hit the post. That was a poor game to watch, incidentally. And then losing 1-0 to arch rivals and host Sweden. <laughs> going into that tournament, what was um, your kind of expectations or understanding of the fans' expectation? Was it a case of um, just go and see how we go because you weren't expected to do much? No. Uh, I tell after the Sweden game, the national commentator on the commentator on the Danish television, he said, "Exit Denmark." That was exactly the words he said, and that was, uh, in many people's views, the truth. But because, first of all, we didn't know we had one point after two games, didn't think it was enough, and uh, to play against France in the third game seemed impossible. It it, it didn't seem like likely. It, it was a very good French team. Good players, Papang, and, and lots of other good stuff, coached by uh, Plessigny, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. And it seems so unlikely that Den- Denmark would do something in that game. But I believe it was played six minutes in Malmö when uh, Henrik Larsen scored the first goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, th- I remember that moment I thought, okay, this might be fun, this might be going somewhere. But but the, the the mood was not for going ahead in the tournament. Every, everybody thought, okay, that was a free ride. It was fun while it lasted, but goodbye, Sweden. Then. Yeah, it was, um, it's amazing that you came into the game against France. France were um, one of the favourites to win the tournament because they'd won only eight, eight matches. Um, but... Um, in the tournament, I mean, they, they struggled to draw with um, Sweden. They drew 0-0 in a poor game against England. That shows um, it wasn't a great team for England. They were involved in two poor games. And maybe the fact that they, in their heads, thought they only needed a point and they, from their point of view, thought it's only Denmark. Probably <laughs> works in Denmark's favour because you were the hungrier team that night. And of course, um, Lars Elstrup comes on for Brian Loudrup. A lot of um, people say, what's the manager doing? Proves... Um, you could say luck, but also inspired as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the, the Danish players said that in the players' tunnel, no, in the tunnel before the game, the French players were like arrogant against them. You know, they said, "Okay, let's go, let's do this easy, let's get this over with, and we'll go to the semi-final. You can go home across across Öresund, <laughs> which was just on the other side of Copenhagen." That's that was a factor too. You have to remember suddenly. Denmark is playing France in Malmö, which is 30 kilometers from Copenhagen. Suddenly, a lot of people are rushing across the sea, watch this game. And I believe it all went up into a higher, you know, a higher year. It was, it was really strange what happened during that game because that was the transformation from not being able to do anything to actually be in the semifinal. That was incredible. Yeah, it was just an incredible night, you know. And uh, then you're up against defending European champions who'd done very well in our group. Um, you know, they'd thrashed Germany 3 1 in the final game. And again, the expectation from a lot of neutrals was Holland should steamroll this into the final. Um, that was the end of a great journey for Denmark. No one told, gave Denmark the script, or Richard Muller's script. He had a different script of his own. And uh, Henrik Larsen, it's a famous name in Scotland, but 
from the Swedish version, not the Danish version, obviously, comes up with two goals in the Yolts, so you're going to win it in 90 minutes. Um, and then a couple of things happened when Frank Reinkar scored and Henrik Andersen suffered a horror, horror injury. I mean, that, that would have put you off your dinner if you were reading at that moment in time. No, I'm. I, I was. It was horrible. It was a horrible moment. Emerson is a very sympath, sympathetic player, and uh, I remember that second thinking, "Oh, this this was it." Because he he was also very important to the Danish way of playing. But tell you what, what happened during that game? You mentioned Brian Lard. He was after a little bit of a rough start in the tournament. He was he was subbed against France, but suddenly against Holland, he was free flowing. He was everywhere. You, you've probably seen that in Scotland as well. Yeah. Good he can be, creative he can be, how much he can, how much fantasy he can play with and how much passion he can bring, bring to his football. Suddenly he was there, Brian Laudrup. That was, that was a joy to watch. And, you know, still it was Holland, I really feeling of, okay, this, this goes into penalties and a rough, rough game with tired Danish players. And everybody was working for the last, you know, for, through the two times 15 minutes and the extra time. And it was, was like, okay, let's get to the penalties and see what happens because we knew we had Smeichel, which was a big factor also because Smeichel, he, he, he didn't go to Sweden to have fun. He wanted to win the bloody tournament. <laughs> yeah, sure. And he did. And he, yeah, and, and the penalty was also, I mean, that was so surreal. I mean, it was so surreal to watch. Yes, uh, he made he makes a crucial save from Van Basten, um, which also shows that he was up for making big saves and big occasions. And that was like Dennis Bergkamp um, seven years later as well. And then Denmark couldn't have asked for a more perfect penalty shot from their point of view. Five goals from them and all pretty well taken. I like the way how Kim Kristoff um, gently slid the ball, <laughs> waited for Van Brocklin to fall and I then just not. slid it past. <laughs> Did you watch that? <laughs> For me, it was too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember everybody was thinking, "What, what, what is he doing?" <laughs> I mean, if that if that had missed, I'm imagine if he has missed that one, that would have been terrible. But it was it was like uh, I mean, everything was with the Danes at that point. You know, the the I, re- I think that maybe twenty thousand Danes were in the stadium, and it was like, okay, now something is happening. But it was live transformation. Remember, this is a small tournament. This is not like now where you're playing a group stage and you're playing round of 16, round of 8. This was straight to the semi-final, which was good luck for Danes, Denmark, because they had momentum. They could build it uh, through the last games. Yeah, and um, obviously the final up against the um, New Lecrem World Champions Germany. Um, again, the script was Germany, they're the World Champions. They always win tournaments. They know how to win tournaments, even if they've not played well. They've got this game won. It's just Denmark. They won't be much. But again, Denmark turned up on the day. Probably had yeah. everyone but the Germans on their side, to be fair. I think even Swedish fans were wanting Ger- um, <laughs> Denmark to win that game. And, uh, and, they, Scottish, and Scottish fans also probably. Oh, yeah. We were, we were wanting you to win. Yeah, we, we love an underdog story over here. Yeah, I was um, I was definitely wanting Denmark to win, and it was it was incredible. And, uh, you know, were you in Gothenburg for that game? 
No, I was in my apartment in Copenhagen, uh, actually nursing my sisters who were sleeping. I had small sisters and they were sleeping in my apartment. They came to Copenhagen to visit me, so I wasn't uh -huh. even able to to participate uh -huh. in the party. But but I, you know, I I had a solution because my other sister came to watch over them after the game, so I could go out and celebrate. But <laughs> the, the, the 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 incredible thing about that final was. We had eight players who would receive treatment just before the game, who who were doubtful because they had injuries. They were they were tired. They were tiredness, and people who were suddenly getting afraid to play the final because you didn't want to be the one who cost the national team a, a possible triumph. So that was really a, it was a rough build up to that final. I believe some of the players shouldn't have played because they had injuries, you know. But but you know. You can go a long way in willpower, can't you? Absolutely. You know, it's amazing how much adrenaline you can have when you're on a good run of form and you're winning games. And uh, yeah. yes, <laughs> and John Jensen, he was unlucky early in the tournament, as we mentioned, hit the post against England, then scores an absolute stunner of a goal, which um, was his would be his last for about two and a half years. They curled one in at Arsenal <laughs> against QPR. Yeah. Arsenal fans are looking at this guy thinking, where was that? <laughs> but what a yeah, they, it was. They made t-shirts for him. I was there when John Jensen scored for Arsenal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you know he had a ter actually he was not very good at shooting John John Jensen, but suddenly hit it right in the behind, as he said in Danish, in a, <laughs> and he did. That was that was a marvelous goal, and obviously also Kim Wilford, who had a very emotional tournament mm -hmm. due to his daughter being very very ill were sick mm -hmm. in the hospital unfortunately she died afterwards but um that was it, it was so emotional i remember also thinking if you hadn't played the rule about playing back to the keeper denmark would never have won that final never never i think we made passes 25 passes back to the keeper or something which is a lot and it took a lot of time a lot of pace out of the game uh, which was very crucial for the Danish team because it, it was a good German team. It was a good German team, but you've got to play by um, the rules that are there and it's not Denmark's fault yeah. that was imposed. It's probably a reason no, why. No. I, I remember seeing a highlight to the video, um, Denmark bypassed their way to, to Glorious is on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah but <laughs> yeah, but, but as you say, you also had to have a good keeper. You also had yeah. to have uh, uh, creative players who are good. And suddenly everything fell into place. And remember, that I told you about this this manager being uh, being uh, the, 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 the you know the biggest scapegoat of a national uh, of of Denmark for many years for the for a couple of years. And suddenly he was the hero of of, of our country. And it was it was incredible to watch. It was a very good story, also on the human level. I think. Yeah, it's a remarkable story that um, a man, God bless his soul, um, Richard Mel Nielsen, started off um, the much more line fits. He's went from zero, and now he's a national hero um, because of what's happened. And just, um, I'm asking the obvious. You know, what does that success mean to Denmark fans now? Well. It means that every time we go to a tournament, we are getting disappointed. <laughs> no, 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 that's a joke because we had, we had, a, we had, we had good tournaments since the quarterfinal in '98, and obviously uh, this summer in, um, in with the Euros. But yeah. it means that now we can all, we can always say, "I was, I was living, I was seeing it while it happened," and it's so special. We know it probably won't happen again. And as I said before. It, now you have to play like four knockouts game before you get to a final of maybe three and 
then it was like, okay, we have one game, then it's the final. So that was a, a huge difference. I, I think it, it would be impossible now for Denmark because we don't have the team to do this. It, it was close on this summer, but yeah, it, it's it's a reference point. It's it's a beautiful story, and for 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 nation, it was it was the most incredible thing to to experience. Yeah, it's it's, it's tremendous. But um, I mean, you did um, qualify and still from from a group. You won nine out of the ten games. Um, I wouldn't. Saying about the last game for you, um, but in terms of um, in terms of uh, this year's World Cup in Qatar, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, I really hope that we are joining you. But what um, what chances do you give Denmark um, of um, a, a, another good tournament? Because you do have a really strong side, and um, thankfully yeah. we're also as we're speaking on the first of February, Christian Eriksen's found a club again, so you just hope that he can get back to some form of fitness as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you do, if you reach the semi-final in the Euros, I think a realistic goal, a realistic target, is the quarter-final in the World Cup. I think that's, I think that's plausible. Um, and and this is the last call for the. I think this team is going to change after the World Cup. You never know what Kasper Yuma is going to do with his uh, career. But I think uh, a quarter-final will, would be a beautiful uh, end to the journey, a, a, a beautiful way to. To to make um, a World Cup for the Danish team, it would be it would be so great if we could go that far. And if we go that far, you never know what what might happen. Then we only have a semi final and final left. You know. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it'll be a Denmark Scotland final. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What do you reckon? What for Scotland to qualify? Yeah. Also, but also Denmark's chances. Or to the two questions there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I think I think with Denmark, um, a lot depends on the draw because um, as we are speaking, the draw hasn't been made. But the time this goes out, we'll know, um, and hopefully Scotland will be in that draw. Um, I think Denmark are capable, as you say, of last eight. Um, I think that's definitely um, reachable first team with Denmark. I mean, you're in the top ten in the world just now as it is, and you did blitz your way through um, our group. And with regards to Scotland, I think we'll beat Ukraine, and then it depends on the final. But Oh, I'm fairly confident we can do it. I really hope we can do it because that would be tremendous. This, the job Steve Clark's done has been absolutely fantastic. We've got a great spirit, and hopefully we can um, we can join you in the Qatar. Fingers crossed for you. Fingers yeah. crossed for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, just to um, to um, end this, uh, just summarise what United to um, means to you personally, and um, how it's shaped. Because you're obviously a commentator for um, Danish TV as well. So how much does that inspire yeah. you? Well, it shows. It goes to show that everybody can win a football game, and everybody can win a tournament. It doesn't happen that often, but you have, you have to remember when you start watching a football game. This is what it's, it's all about. This ninety-two triumph is what it's all about. It's also about hundreds of thousands of people standing in red and white in the center of Copenhagen, enjoying what they saw together. And especially now, after the last two years of. COVID, this is really, really nice to think about. And every time you watch games from 92, you're stuck. I mean, you can't leave him, but you just have to see what happens in the next game. And what if he missed that penalty? And what if last Elstrup didn't score against France? It's such a beautiful story. It's like Hans Christian Andersen, but it's in hundreds of potents. You know, it's like, it's, it's really, it's, it means something. It's defining for us. As a, as a as a nation as a football nation 
Yeah, well, it's, it's nice to uh, be able to speak to someone who knows what it's like to win because um, we can't even get past the knockout stages. Hopefully, that will change as we see. Let's see. Let's see. You never know about Scotland. I always, I always vouch for Scotland. I tell you what. One of my colleagues is uh, used to living in Edinburgh, and he is a huge. Uh, he's he's a very he's he's a Scotophile. So <laughs> he's drinking whiskey, sitting in his cellar, drinking whiskey, and uh, you know, right now he's watching the Edinburgh derby. He told me. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, we're recording this. It's the, the 1st of February and there was an Edinburgh Derby place. Um, but listen, okay. Niels, um, thanks very much for your time. And, uh, uh, my pleasure, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you and, and just call me anytime, okay?